Hey, Risso here at George Mason University. I'm here with Kevin Andrew Richards from the University of Illinois. And uh, today we are talking about uh, starting and running a pedagogy lab or a research lab, um, which Kevin does with his colleagues at the University of Illinois. And uh, you will know Kevin's voice from going behind the research segments. Uh, they've been really um, cool podcasts to listen to. You had some great guests on. And I think these kind of segue together because we'll talk about all the things that go into producing research in the segments that you're doing, but you're also running a pedagogy lab. So um, I want to kind of start from the top. Um, you're at the University of Illinois. Can you tell us how did you get there? Like, what was your kind of path oh, yeah. getting there? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I did my, in uh, that kind of, that backstory, I think will be really important actually, Risto, because... Um, you know, I, I went to uh, Purdue University for my my doctoral degree, and uh, I, I subsequently did a postdoc there as well. Um, and, and I had a fantastic experience as a graduate student. I worked with Tom Templin, um, Michael Hemphill, uh, uh, among other doctoral students who were in and out of the lab at the time that I was there, uh, was one of the kind of cornerstone peer mentors for me. But we had a relatively small group of, of doctoral students, you know, no more ever than maybe four or five tops. Um, and, and we didn't have what, what I would call an organized lab space. We had an office that we shared. And, and so I guess, depending upon the definition, some people might call that a lab. It was a shared office space with a, like a meeting table in the middle. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I wasn't, it wasn't really modeled for me, um, how to run, uh, a lab. And, and I think that that's, you know, in part just because doctoral education can't teach you everything. Like I learned how to write and do research really well, but grants, personship is another area that I've always kind of felt a little bit behind, right? So um, after leaving Purdue, um, I went to Northern Illinois where we didn't have grad students for one year, or doc students at least. They do now, but while I was there, that wasn't that wasn't a thing. And then made my way to the University of Alabama. So we, we did have um, what we called at Alabama a pedagogy lab, but it, it was different there. It was essentially just a computer lab space um, with like 20 different computers and it was where we hosted our classes. Um, it was kind of cool because it was set up. Uh, we had a gym on site too, uh, and the gym was fitted with cameras. Uh, and so um, the the cameras uh, were able to um, project video into that conference room from the gym. We didn't really use it that way, but it was kind of a neat setup. Um, but then I got to the University of Illinois, um, uh, which is which is where I am now. Um, and we had a room um, that we called the lab, uh, and it was separate from faculty offices, uh, but it could hold, you know, uh, five or six grad students comfortably with a few extra meeting spaces and, and a bunch of storage. Um, and uh, it was a physical space. I think a lab is more than a physical space, though. I think I think it's um, it's the way that you organize. It's the way that you bring people together. Uh, it's the way that you conceptualize and co-conceptualize projects. It's branding. It's identity. It's it's who it's who you are and what you do. Um, and so we had a physical space for a while, but it really wasn't until the last year or so where we started to carve out a lot of that other stuff that makes us who we are as a lab. Yeah. So I like my experience at Teachers College at at Columbia. Um, it, like we did not have a lab space. Like 
and I, I can understand how important it is to have a place for doctoral students to be together, just to have a conversation with each other that is related to research or the socialization of like building like a community. Like when I was meeting with Ray, uh, Ray Frederick, who was going, uh, getting his doctorate at the same time, like we just met on like benches in the hallway and yeah. like coffee shops and like talked while he was driving me down in New York. And like, um, we didn't have a lot of, uh, a lot of spaces like that. Um, but we also had a, I almost want to say a non-traditional program at teachers college. Like everybody besides like one or two people were part-time. So they had been in the program for years, taking a couple classes here and there. They were teaching. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was the only full-time, like, not teaching during the day person um, that that went there. So there wasn't really a lab. Um, so it's a bit of a different feel. And, and I think that that's... But that's an important kind of point too. And in, in in what a lab is, I think that I think that any pedagogy program that that has a research agenda could have an associated pedagogy lab, a pedagogy research lab. I think that that's very practical. I think it'd be very appropriate. But what that lab is, the function that it serves, and how that plays out is going to look very different in different spaces. You know, we right now we have um, you know four tenure stream faculty, including Kim Graber and Amy Woods, who spend most of their time in administrative roles. Um, uh, we have 12 total doctoral students, um, 10 of whom are on campus. We have another two doctoral students who affiliate with the lab, and we have anywhere between 15 and 20 undergraduate students that are working with us at any given time. So th there's a lot of personnel uh, there. Um, you, you, we're a bit unique, I think, in that respect. I don't know that a lot of other institutions um, that could have a pedagogy lab would have that many personnel to bring around it. But that doesn't mean that that lab could, that, that other labs couldn't serve important functions. If I could back up for one minute, I also wanted to explain that um, what we have now, uh, which is a beautiful physical space that I can describe, um, uh, is not what we've always had. It has taken a lot of time and effort and hard work to build up to where we are now. And the credit for that goes back to Kim Graber and Amy Woods. If you look at the University of Illinois website right now, we're working on updating this, so it's a little bit embarrassing, but I'll tell this because I think it makes the point well. If you look at the, um, the meager beginnings, or if you want to see the meager beginnings of our pedagogy lab space, if you, if you search for Pedagogy University of Illinois, I think it'll come up. Um, the old lab pictures are still up there because we haven't updated the website in like 25 years. We're working on that. But, um, you know, the, the space was very meager. It, it was very small, but just to have anything at that point was so exciting. Um, and, and then gradually over decades, uh, as the doctoral program grew, they could justify and move into a new space. And we had that space for a very long time and it worked really well. Um, and then uh, they did a major renovation of Freer Hall. And, and our lab was one of the first labs uh, to, to have a named um, a, a name designation from a donor. So that our, our lab was one of the first to receive donor money for the space. Um, and so we were able to move into a really cool space um, that was a little bit larger. Uh, and, and then uh, to get to where we were now, um, you know, looking at the size of our doctoral program and the fact that we just hired Wes Wilson, 
uh, who came in with an adapted PE uh, lens. He's brought in some um, doctoral training grant money that's that's allowed us to expand our program even a little bit more. We're probably going to be at about 15 total doc students next year. Um, and, and so uh, that allowed us to say, look, you know, we need more space and actually we need to be closer to our students. Uh, and so we moved into a, a suite that was repurposed for us. Um, just to give you a quick oral tour, you walk in one door uh, and you walk into a conference room that's set up. We're mounting a television on the wall so we can do video conference and that stuff. My office is right off of that conference room. You walk down the hall past the conference room. Um, there are two storage closets where we're going to put all of our physical education programming equipment. Uh, there's a private bathroom, which is honestly my favorite part of the whole thing. Walk a little bit farther. There's Wes's office and another faculty office that right now we have set up as um, like a private uh, conference room study area, like a library. Uh, and then we have Corral set up with 15 uh, desks for doc students. Uh, right now, we're able to provide technology to all of the students. So all the students, when they come in, have a laptop that they uh, can use for the duration of the program. Um, and uh, we, we give them that desk area. Um, so that's kind of the, the physical side of it. Um, and I don't I, I want to pause there, but but at some point I, I can also talk a little bit about uh, the mission, the mission vision, like that kind of side of it. Yeah, so you, you talked about the doctoral students and you said 10 to 15 undergrads might be in there. Um, you didn't say anything about master's students. Do you have master's students? Are they uh, as a part of the group or how, how does how do you like how do you put those people in? So great question. I just I uh, right now we don't have any master's students with us. Um, we just graduated one last year. Uh, we, we have had and will continue to have master's students um, in our program. Uh, you know, I would conceptualize, you know, master's degree programs can serve a lot of different functions. Uh, and so we regularly have master's students um, in the pedagogy program who are doing like alternative certification uh, and they may not choose to affiliate with the lab, which is which is an important thing. So there are you know benefits of being a member of the lab, some of which that I described. But, um, you know, uh, not everybody who does a degree with us is required to be in the lab. So sometimes we have students who affiliate with the lab who are who are not in our degree program. And other times we have students who are in our degree program, like these master students who are just pursuing certification, who aren't interested in, in research as much, so they don't affiliate with the lab. We do often, though, have research-focused master students, and they would have the option to affiliate as well. So the 10 to 15 undergrads, they're not all PE students, right? Yeah, I would say for the most part, we don't have PE students. Um, they are uh, uh, they're typically... Um, kinesiology majors uh, from a variety who have a variety of different career goals. Um, but but our department has been really good about this. Like I still haven't figured out how we convince the students that this is such a good thing for them. I believe it is a good thing for them. Um, but at other universities where I've been at, there's always been ways that we could get students like independent study credit for research participation. And for some reason, the students at Illinois are just super sold on this idea which I love because it lets me get to know them, some of them better. You know, I only teach um, two undergrad classes a year, and one of them is a large 150-seat lecture. I don't get to know those students really well, but when they affiliate with and, and sign up for independent study credit uh, and work in our lab, then I get to know them better. I'm in a better position to write letters of recommendation for them. Uh, and we've actually pulled some of those students into our master's programs or helped them find 
you know, master's or doctoral programs elsewhere. Uh, so a lot of non-PE majors, though, yes. And you publish with these non-PE undergrads, because I remember some of the podcasts we've done about your work, that you have uh, authors on there who are acknowledged as co-authors, um, that you have basically taught the undergrads how to code data and have a collaborative coding process with those undergrads, and then they help in preparing that manuscript. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, uh, the the way that our lab is organized uh, is we're broken out into project teams, and so you know collaboratively the doctoral students Wes and I really set the research agenda for the lab, decide the projects that we're going to have, uh, and then at the beginning of every semester when we have new undergrads that come into the lab, including some continuing students as well, we'll overview all the projects we have going on, and the students will have some say in what project they want to affiliate with. Um, a graduate student will be primarily the one who leads that group um, of undergrads, uh, and then they work um, towards completing the goals for whatever the project is. The rule of thumb that we have is that if students are in the lab for at least a year, so two semesters, and they contribute to data collection and data analysis, then that to me justifies co-authorship. Um, a, a lot of our, our data collection uh, is done with undergrads' support, um, even interviews. We have like a multi-phase process uh, we use for training to get students ready to do interviews. Um, and then we uh, follow the, uh, the collaborative qualitative analysis uh, outline, the Richards and Hemphill article. You know, I, it's so funny. I never called it that. I never called it collaborative qualitative analysis, but that's what the students all call it. So that's what I call it now. Um, but we, we teach them how to do that, and that's very kind of step-by-step. Step. It go, it progresses really slowly, and we found that even non-PE majors can get really good at, at qualitative data analysis if they're appropriately coached. So, um, you know, that, that results uh, in them having collected and analyzed data, so I think that that's a rightful stake at, at, at co-authorship. For some of the students who go into graduate programs, that might be helpful for them. For others, it's just something really cool to show their parents at Christmas, and, and I love that. Yeah. So... You have 12 uh, doctoral students. You may grow more if, if that happens. How, how many of these are fully funded positions? A hundred percent of them. Um, yeah, I, I'm sorry. Uh, so, uh, that, the, I mean, honestly, like that, that to me is so astounding. Yeah. Like you have 12 doctoral students who are fully paid to, uh, granted, a doctoral fully funded position is not really great funding, but... No. You're not paying for tuition, you get health insurance in most places, and you get a stipend enough to live on, and you're a poor college student still without any like parental support or some like side hustle. But um, so where does that funding come from? Is it grants? Is it the University of Illinois says we love our pedagogy lab, we're gonna give them twelve fully funded doctoral positions? So we are we are really rare in the way that this works, um, and and I know that I, I acknowledge that, uh, and I appreciate it. Um, I I, uh, I sometimes I feel a little bit guilty to be honest because I know that a lot of people struggle really hard. A lot of people who have doctoral students who want to work with them struggle to find funding. Um, I, I see that play out in really unfortunate ways um, at, at previous universities where I worked. I watched faculty basically fight over a limited number of lines and to the point where it got kind of cutthroat and a little bit ugly. And, and that isn't healthy for anybody. Um, so the way that it used to work was that anytime that we wanted to fund a student, 
we would um, admit them into the program, uh, and then funding would come as a later decision. So they'd get admitted to the program, and then we would find out when all the chips settled and we, we knew how many students were going to come in, what the department had the capacity to fund. Okay. So that changed a few years ago because the department realized that we were losing good candidates because they had options and, and offers that came from other places faster than how than we were able to do it. So um, the, 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 the rule of thumb right now is that I can offer to fund any student I want to, no questions asked, um, doctoral students at halftime, master's students at at least quarter time. So halftime is full, you know, full time for the students. Um, and, and no questions asked. I can fund as many students as I want to, and I'm just asked to not be ridiculous about it. On top of that, Wes brought in um, a doctoral training grant with him from uh, University of Utah. And with that doctoral training grant, uh, he's able to offer fellowship funding. And fellowship funding blows what we offer out of the water because uh, our, our assistantships are insurance, which is meh, um, tuition waiver. Uh, there's small fees that students still have to pay. Uh, and then it's um, about $25,000 for the year uh, at halftime um, on a teaching assistantship or a research assistantship. The fellowships are $35,000 a year. Um, and there's no like job requirement other than to work on your stuff. And right. they get travel money for conferences and yeah. Now they're, they're hooked in though, because for every two, for every one year of, because it's federal funding, every one year of funding they receive, they have to pay back two years through service because this is related to working with people with disabilities. Um, they have to work as an adapted uh, physical education, physical activity fa faculty member or somebody in the field for two years for every one year that they got funded. Yeah, but still a good deal because you're Great a deal. Yeah. doctorate. And, yeah. Um, so, so those uh, 12 students that you have, like, can you give some sample projects that they've done or things that you're working on? Like you said, you put them into kind of teams and they take uh, roles. Like what types of, is it like, Hey, I want you to get this questionnaire and send it to a thousand PE teachers. Or uh, are you doing like full, like intervention projects or research projects or what kind of, what kind of stuff are they are you working on? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that just depends upon what the lab has going on at the moment. Um, let, let me let me answer that question two ways. So, so first, let me take you through what what I would see like induction into the lab looking like. So first semester students uh, come in. Um, my goal for them that first semester is to observe, to ask questions, to, to, to slowly get acculturated into um, the way that the lab works. Uh, I expect them to be attending meetings. Um, and I expect them to start to identify, you know, through coursework and through independent reading that they're doing, areas that they're interested in. Um, then we articulate, you know, the main strands of research for the lab. So we articulate, I think it's four key areas that we do work in. You know, uh, uh, OXOSH, uh, of course, is is a big one. Um, Social socialization. Huh? Yeah. 
occupational socialization. Yeah, sorry, occupational socialization theory is a big one. Uh, that's my primary line. Uh, West does a lot of work looking at the lived experiences of people with disabilities. So that's another strand. Um, I'm not going to be able to name all four. I'm going to forget one. Uh, another one focuses on um, uh, self-determination theory applications in out-of-school time programs. And then I got the last one, social and emotional learning through TPSR. So, so what we tell students is that they don't have to do one of those things specifically, but if they're going to work with either Wes or I, and we're going to mentor them, it makes sense that they should be able to tether what they're interested in to one of those strands. I think you told me a story once about how Steve drew like ovals up on the board and said, you need to be able to position yourself in one of these kind of buckets. Right. So, yeah. so yeah. So same kind of, same kind of idea. Um, it, it, except what I'm hopeful for is that they can bring something new. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. So Jenna Stark uh, at Alabama, when I was there with her, super interested in studying, um, assessment, assessment literacy. I knew nothing about assessment literacy. But I learned a lot about it because we looked at assessment literacy through an occupational socialization theory lens. So that gives me the opportunity to learn. So first semester or so, students are are just getting accustomed to the lab and starting to get a feel for what they think they want to do. Um, second semester, third semester, we start to slowly work them into projects. The idea is not to have them lead a project right away but to have them assist and collaborate with other people who are already leading projects. And then as they matriculate through, they start to take on leadership roles. And then there's peer mentoring with the, with the earlier uh, program students. Um, so, you know, and eventually that leads towards dissertation work for them. Um, in terms of the projects going on in the lab, to some extent that depends upon just where we are. Like for, for a while we were running programming um, both with the Boys and Girls Club and after in summertime in summertime programming with uh, one of the local school districts. And so a lot of our doctoral students were were on those projects. Many of them were funded to be involved in that work. Um, but those funding sources have dried up uh, and we haven't continued those collaborations. We're working to get new ones in place right now. And some of the students are helping set those up. We're meeting with, um, I think, three or four different uh, school or school board or, or school district level folks looking to set up partnerships. But most of the projects that are going on in the lab right now specifically are qualitative. Um, that's another thing, you know, Wes and I both do a little bit of qual and quant. So we kind of oscillate a little back and forth de depending upon the students. Um, there's one student right now, um, a young June Kim, who's involved with uh, um, um, uh, AERA, the SIG-93. He um, does uh, quantitative stuff. So him and I have kind of worked on some of that, but a lot of the other lab-wide projects right now are, are leaning qualitative. It doesn't mean that they'll stay there. It's a cool cool process and cool project. And, and like you said, very, uh, very unique, especially in the U.S. Like I don't know of any other program that has 12 doctoral students uh, that are funded and have a lab space that are working. And, and that shows too, like, you know, your lab is very productive. Like there's always papers coming out, uh, with from university of Illinois. And, and I think the Carnegie classification of how they are now going to rank the universities in Carnegie classification is changing to now it's going to be how much money you're putting into research and how many doctoral degrees are you, uh, awarding. And so, um, 
But that's that's essentially the questions I had for you. Do you have things that uh, you wanted to cover? Yeah, we haven't talked about just a couple things. So first of all, I want to build off of uh, one of the last things you said. So um, you know, I, I I think we're in a really good place right now. I'm I'm happy with the space that we have. I'm happy with um, you know the, the 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 students that we have. I, I think midterm, um, it would be wonderful if we could uh, hire in another uh, straight physical education person. Um, we have Wes who does APE, and we have some affiliates um, who who are who are faculty in other areas that I think will end up working with us and and helping on some of our committees. Um, but um, I think we need a, a third straight pedagogy person. Um, so so that uh, you know with where we are right now. But but I also want to acknowledge that there are some other people around the country. Um, you know Matt Kirtner Smith down in Alabama with Oldex and Elnikoff, uh, Tori Shiver and um, and and Karen Goodrow at New Mexico. Uh, both of those places have larger doctoral programs as well. I know I'm missing some others that are probably equally as large, if not bigger. And then there are a lot of folks who who have smaller programs where it might be just one or two doctoral students. And and I think that doctoral education can work well um, and be done well across a variety of different arrangements. Now, what the focus might be might be a little bit different. You know, to be honest, we're probably in a position where our our best asset, our best ability is to educate people who really want to go into research. Um, you know, doctoral students who see themselves as future researchers, I would argue we're one of the best places that you could go. More and more, I'm wondering if we're a great place to go if you see yourself as more of like teacher educator first. Um, you know, unless you really see uh, research as an area that you need to develop farther in. Um, so I, I just wanted to kind of to frame that. The other thing uh, I wanted to, to throw out there relates to branding and identity. And I kind of teased this a couple of times, but I think it's critical. And I really didn't understand how critical it was until Wes got here and we started making a concentrated effort to do it. So Wes and I sat down over the course of a week and, and tried to develop a purpose statement, a mission statement, a, a vision statement. Um, and so how those things are a little, how those things are different is, is a bit interesting to me. And I don't know that I necessarily fully understand it, but the way that we approached it was that purpose was specific. Mission was a bit broader. So the purpose is kind of how the mission is actualized. Um, and then the vision statement is aspirational. So this is who, how we see ourselves, how we want to be, what type of space we want to be perceived as. Then we developed, um, you know, based on Wes's research identity my research identity in the work that Kim and Amy do, we identified, um, you know, uh, um, uh, these four different research strands that I outlined before. And that allows us to articulate better, you know, what we do, how we see ourselves and who we want to be. So that, that kind of work, um, you, you know, I think can be, uh, I think can be really critical. Uh, as we've started to develop those things out and the lab's gotten bigger, We've had to think a little bit more about, well, how do we handle things like authorship on publications? Um, and so we've kind of started to adopt a kinesiology model where um, Wes or I uh, is senior author, so last author. Uh, and then, you know, it, it's kind of going doctoral students, undergrads is kind of the formula. So doctoral students, undergrads, Wes or I. And then if Wes and I are both on something, then that might look a little bit different. But, um, you know, we're... We're kind of settling into that position because I think that acknowledges the fact that the doctoral students are the ones who are honestly driving a lot of the work. Um, you know, I, it's been an identity shift for me. I know I'm going long here and I'm sorry about that, but this has required 
an identity shift for me that I think is important to acknowledge because it's been hard. Um, you know, I, I was the person all the way up until I got to Illinois and even after being here for a few years, I would roll up my sleeves and I would be the one doing all of the work and collecting all of the data and sitting there alongside the grad students analyzing the data. And let me be honest with you, I probably owe a few people apologies because I was critical of other, of other people in academia who I didn't see doing that. And I understand it now. I get it. Because with the, a lab the size of what we have, I can't be that invested in every project. If, if I was, then I would be over-investing in some projects and leaving other students out to dry or killing myself because I'd be working 120 hours a week. You know, so I've had to kind of become more of a, of a facilitator, more of a manager, uh, more of a teacher, uh, I think is probably the best way that I'd like to say it. Um, you know, Wes and I do a lot of educating in the lab, uh, and it's a lot of learning by doing. Students get involved in projects, and that means that they make mistakes and that not everything always goes perfect. Earlier in my career, I couldn't stomach that because I felt like their success was too tied to my success in terms of publication output. Now, as a tenured faculty member, I feel more comfortable and I don't feel so tied to them. So if I'm more comfortable using the lab um, as an educational environment, whereas before I don't know that I was. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing. I think um, the cool stuff going on. And I think that, you know, it's, it's always a, a safe bet to send an application your way if you're looking for a, a PhD program as well. Yeah. So just to well, it, and for any students, yeah, any students who are interested, please, but also anybody who's interested in um, in collaborating with our lab, you know, we, we actively collaborate out. Uh, and anybody who's interested in learning more about the process of setting up a lab, like I'd be happy to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with anybody. Uh, there were a lot of people who stepped in and did that for me. Some of them were outside of pedagogy. Um, so I think having models that we can build from in pedagogy can be helpful. And again, we're not the only model, but we are one. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, that's all we have for you on this episode. Uh, thanks, everybody, for uh, for tuning in. And thanks, Kevin, for sharing. Thanks, Risto.